Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've got a great show lined up for you today. It's a show, actually one in a series of shows, that we're recording from an exciting venue. We've never been here to record shows before. We're at a place called Uchi Pines Institute in Seal, Alabama. And to really help us get a flavor for all that's been happening here for many decades, sitting across from me, Cal Thrash. Cal, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Dr. DeRose. Anyone who knows anything about Yuchi Pines and they hear the name Thrash, the lights are lighting up, the connections <laughs> are being made. But many of my listeners, although they've heard your mom, and you know, sorry that she has passed away uh, not all that long ago, right? Right. It was September of last year. But uh, great woman. She was on the show a number of times. She often would speak about her native roots and sharing natural remedies. But she and your dad, Calvin... Two physicians had an amazing vision to do something unusual in Alabama. And right now in this studio on your campus, we're actually testifying to the the fruits of their vision. That's right. Tell us a little bit about how this Uchi Pines uh, started. Well, you know, what's interesting, you said it was from Alabama, and that's true. Although initially, all of us Born in Georgia, you know, all the thrashes and my, my mother uh, um, from the Moody side uh, were born in Georgia. And uh, I was born in Columbus, which is uh, about 20 minutes from here over on the on the Georgia side. So we had not really been looking for any place in Alabama. It was just uh, something that came along. One of our neighbors uh, knew that this place was here. It was sitting here. And uh, uh, the woman who owned it was a widow and he said, you know, I know you're looking for a farm. Uh, perhaps you'd be interested in uh, a place in Alabama. They might as well have said, maybe you could look on the moon because we really weren't looking in Alabama. Uh-huh. I think there's that just that little bit of, uh, oh, I guess you could say tension between, you know, the, the different state borders or uh-huh. something. And, uh, and it seems like, at least in this part of eastern Alabama, that most people shop and so forth over in Georgia. So, you know, we thought, well, people come to to Georgia, why would you need to go over here for anything? And so okay. we weren't really thinking about that. But then once we began to to look at this piece of property, that that was what it really appealed. Uh, it was ideal in many ways. Um, and, and what we were looking for was a place that could be an educational center and it had good, strong community ties and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so that was, uh, you know, fit really well with what we were looking for. And so when we, when we saw this place, it was available uh, the the woman decided to sell, and, and so Yuchi uh, Pines was born. And this was very close to um, where the Yuchi Indians were at that time, uh, had a, a, a little reservation off not too terribly far from here, some property with uh, that's actually a beautiful piece of property also. And so they had been all through this whole area. In fact, uh, as you were coming here, you went across the Yuchi Creek, Okay. Which is, uh, which, and of course, the part of the Creek Nation was uh, were, were the Uchis, and uh, and so they were all through this area, and it was quite a little tie to the uh, the Creek Nation in this area. Now, your mom's native bloodlines were 
she had some Cherokee, Cherokee blood, right? Cherokee, yes. But did she also have some Creek as well? You know, if so, I don't know it. Um, I, all I heard about was the Cherokee tie. Okay. Yeah. So basically, your mom was a pathologist, right? Yes. For the benefit of our listeners who don't know what pathologists do, <laughs> can you bring us up to speed real quick? Well, it is it is uh, the the idea of finding disease, um, and uh, and of course, once a person. Uh, has died of a, of some reason, and many times the pathologist is called upon to determine what that cause is. Mm-hmm. And so she had a laboratory, and uh, when your physician takes a biopsy of something and sends it to the lab to determine what it is, that's what she would do. Okay. And uh, spend a little, good little bit of time in uh, the study of disease, but also in the study of the human body in anatomy. Mm-hmm. And so forth. she taught um, anatomy and physiology at one of our local colleges here for many years. And then your dad was internal medicine, is that right? yes. So basically, he's there on the front lines, primary care physician. Right. Your mom is a pathologist, a little bit more behind the scenes as far as their training. But at some point, this couple, husband and wife, got a vision to start looking for a farm. I mean, this is not the usual uh, uh, medical story, is it? Yes. Well, what's behind the scenes there is that I guess you could say probably it first came to the understanding of my father in, as you mentioned, that um, seeing patients more on a day-to-day basis, um, the idea that it didn't seem like he was making a whole lot of progress mm. uh, and and many times just kind of fighting the symptoms. Mm. And so he, he, he actually, I, I remember him asking the question, there has to be something that's better than this. Um, and so he began to study into the relation of uh, various lifestyle, um, I guess you could say, problems that people have, the, the way their lifestyle is that would lead to the disease uh, that he was seeing. Uh, he kind of specialized in, in cardiology, mm-hmm. and uh, this was before too much uh, specialization was happening, but that was his, his special interest. So he began to see a lot of research that was being done, and this was in 1970 and beyond, uh, to show that lifestyle really does make a difference, especially when it comes to something like heart disease. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the related uh, metabolic problems uh, have a real lifestyle connection. And, of course, along with that uh, comes the concept of getting away from stressful situations. So he began to look for a place out of the city. We were, uh, my sister and I were younger, and so he was thinking also, it'd be nice to have a little farm. We can have some organic gardening and that kind of thing and be away from the city, but then bring people to a place that has a more natural environment and um, and do some educational efforts away from hustle and bustle and so forth and and learn to live in a, I guess you could say, a more natural way. Mm-hmm. I guess kind of a... A little bit of a side note is that during the late 60s and 70s, when we were just starting this place, the, the hippie movement was really in full swing. Okay. And so there was a big back-to-nature movement that was going uh-huh. on at the same time. And, and so it really appealed to a lot of people to get away from a more artificial environment of a man-made environment, if you want to call it that, into a, into a country environment. And so we saw quite a few um, people that, that came initially with that kind of framework in mind of just trying to get into a natural environment. And, and so there, were, there was quite a little bit of interest when we first started uh, in this concept of what are you trying to do here? 
And it, and, and we found also that it really did work. Um, it made a lot of difference for people to get away from a stressful environment, and they began to experience health benefits. And so right off the bat, the education process began as to how to change the lifestyle into something that was, a, I guess you could say, more in harmony with the body's natural processes, and then working toward um, a, a healthier lifestyle. And, and that was what Yuji Pines was really all about. Although, quite honestly, when we first started, it was really kind of just uh, we wanted to get a farm and a place to, you know, for our family to go. Mm. And it kind of grew from there. Um, it, although the, the corporation was started in 1970, and uh, and so the the educational efforts began as a, as a corporate effort uh, right off the bat, but for a long time it was uh, just our family. So let me see if I understand this, Kale, and I'm I'm filling in some of the uh, the dots because of my experience with you and your family over the years. Your folks acquired this property back in 1970. You, we've been talking about this farm, this property. Were there buildings here? Was there? much in the way of development? Was there farms that were developed? What was here? No, actually, it was quite wild. Uh, okay. In fact, they kept horses here for the rodeo because they were so far away from humans, <laughs> and uh, they could just run around on, on their own little trails out here and stay wild. Huh. The only building that was here on campus was uh, the the original farmhouse. Uh, it had been a, uh, a family home place. It started off as a log cabin and they just added on to it and it kind of took on its own little shape. And that was the only building that was here on this property uh, other than a couple of ramshackle shacks that we uh, had to tear down. But we um, built almost immediately the building that is we're almost sitting right next to is a little auditorium. And we called it the cafetorium because we had a cafeteria auditorium mm. set up and we did everything there. It was the only building that we had on campus. So we, we ate there and we had school there and we had uh, seminars there and uh, we'd have church there and pretty much anything that we needed to do. And we'd eat there, too, because uh, we had a little kitchen in that facility as well. And so that was the main kind of center of campus for a couple of years, at least until we could get something else going. So a little context. We're here at Uchi Pines and, and I'm here. First of all, because you've got a, a medical seminar going on, you graciously invited me to be one of the speakers. Right. And we talked uh, after that invitation, and I agreed. I said, well, why don't we do some radio programming? And <laughs> you folks were gracious enough to allow me to do that here with you. But also going simultaneously with this seminar that, I don't know, you've got probably, what, 60 people or something, I think, at, at this seminar. It's about that, yes. Uh, you, you've also got a bunch of people here who are going through an intensive health program. They've been living here on the campus for a couple of weeks. Is that right? Right. It's, it is a, a two-and-a-half-week program, 17-day. That grew up as a, as a formal program. It started really as just taking people into our home who had most of the time various um, diseases that usually had been brought on by a faulty lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, started off with uh, quite a few people who had heart problems. And we were able to see some some tremendous uh, results in several lifestyle changes. Uh, a diet that was really more of a plant-based diet rather than the standard American diet mm -hmm. was was the first step. And the second step is the uh, concept of, of graduated exercise, you know, beginning okay. an exercise program. So those two things together, and of course there are some other things that 
that um, the idea was that people would just kind of stay in our home and see how we were living. And mm. uh, the things that we were learning, we would put into practice then, too, and uh, doing some gardening and some of these other things that, that were part of that lifestyle. And we would see that people began to have some real amazing changes in their health. And and so that grew into what we called, uh, at the time, uh, the Health Conditioning Center. It's since been renamed the Lifestyle Center mm-hmm. uh, with the concept of changing lifestyle so that it would be in harmony with nature and, and promote healing. And we've been able to see, especially with the uh, those lifestyle-related type diseases like uh, uh, metabolic problems, diabetes and mm-hmm. uh, hypertension and, and uh, overweight and heart problems, uh, some real tremendous uh, turnaround in, in people's health from, from these aspects of, of integrating a new or different lifestyle. Um, and, and it makes a great difference. But we've even had some, some good experience with the things that are incurable, uh, things uh, you know that you might consider like, like autoimmune disorders, like mm-hmm. lupus, for instance, or, or even cancers of various types, that we have a- applied the same pr- type of principle, the lifestyle you know, uh, uh, changes, and, and some simple remedies, some herbal remedies, and, and, uh, and a few other hydrotherapy techniques and that type of thing. And this lack of stress, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, or maybe not complete lack of stress, but, you know, a, a, a turnaround in, in that type of environment really makes a difference in a, in a person's health. And, uh, and and the thing, too, is that these these types of methods are very sustainable. A person can do, they can learn about what they maybe are, are doing uh, incorrectly here and then put that into practice in their life and carry it on at home. It doesn't have to be done only here. Maybe it's maybe a more intense program here mm-hmm. at the Lifestyle Center, but uh, this can be carried out anywhere, and that's the beauty of the thing. So really, we're talking about the roots today on American Indian Living of Uchi Pines Institute in Alabama. We're talking about some things, if you're not reading between the lines, are things that could be done theoretically in any tribal context. Uh, If you're looking to do something to make a difference in your community, we're talking about something that started out very small, now is a very developed program. We're going to talk more about the Uchi Pines program, but more than that, we're going to be talking about stories, real lives that have been changed, seen through the eyes of Cal Thrash, the son of the founders of Uchi Pine Institute, Calvin and Agatha Thrash. We've got a lot more coming up in today's edition of American Indian Living. I really want to encourage you to stay by because remember, we're not just talking about some theory or some interesting history. We're talking about things that can make a difference for you, your family, your loved ones, and your community. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical. 
medical unit. Respond to 102 Maple Avenue. Possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose, across from me, Calvin Thrash. Actually, Calvin Thrash III. That's right. Cal is the Director of Development for Uchi Pines Institute. And for those of you that know the name of, of Cal Thrash, his dad was also Calvin Thrash, as was his grandfather. But, Cal, you were the president of Uchi Pines Institute for some, what was it? 16 years. 16 years. Right. And uh, my understanding is not all that long ago you said uh, basically it was time for you to step down and and get some uh, fresh blood. Is that the term (laughs) they use? Yeah, that's it. Um, In fact, um, we have a physician, young physician, who is the current president. And uh, and he joined our staff about um, three years ago. I think it was four years ago, something Mm -hmm. like that. And... um, and I saw in him the qualities that I thought would make a, an excellent leader here uh, for the medical work as well as for the administrative work. And so, and and uh, he said yes. So great, that, great. that really helped. Well, I mean, the nice thing is, too, it's not one of those situations, those awkward situations where someone's the president and then they're voted out. And you've got someone new who's, you know, going to redefine the culture of the institution. <laughs> right. You're really here. I'm sure uh, Mark, uh, Dr. Sandoval, calls you periodically. Oh, and, yes. And, and you're basically kind of mentoring him as well. That's as, true. Uh, we uh, still serve on the executive committee. And so, yes, and he calls quite a bit. Uh, it, it's actually uh, a very amicable relationship that we have. And uh, I've enjoyed working with him, too. I, I hope he enjoys working with me as much as I enjoy working with him. <laughs> Well, it's not, I mean, it looks like a good good situation. Well, let's come back to Uchi Pines because okay. some folks are like me. And just for for the benefit of the audience, I heard about Uchi Pines in the 80s. And I was a actually a medical student at the time. I, I could have heard it, of it before that, uh, before I was in med school. I don't think that was the case. As a medical student, I was hearing about these innovative 
health centers that were taking preventive medicine one step further. And as a medical student, I was seeing these patients come into the hospital. And just like you were sharing the story of your dad, I mean, these people, even if they survived the hospital, they were back in the clinic a week later and they, yeah, they they weren't on the ventilator anymore. They weren't on that breathing machine, Mm -hmm. but they were still really struggling. And I heard about these programs, heard people telling stories about these amazing transformations that occurred when people changed their lifestyle dramatically. And I actually, as a medical student, had the opportunity to visit a couple of of these centers out in this part of the country. I was doing my medical training in Nor- in uh, Southern California, flew out to a place called Wildwood outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and then came down here to Uchi Pines okay. and... In both those institutions, I was amazed because I was seeing people in a short time, their lives just turning around. Mm-hmm. Your parents, when they started this Uchi Pines Institute, what I gathered, because this was before, long before I ever set foot here, sounds like you know a dozen years or more, it wasn't a structured program like I saw. You just were inviting people in your homes and were having classes for the community, or who were you training? That, that's, uh, yes, it was um, very um, a la carte. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> there were people from our local community that kind of, I guess you could say, caught the vision when my parents would talk about what they wanted to do here. Mm-hmm. That uh, And, of course, there was no facility. It was just uh, uh, the only home was just the, the old farmhouse that was here. And so, but there were some individuals that asked if they could um, stay for a little while and and just see what we were doing and experience some good benefit from that. And yes, it was, um, since there was no facility here immediately to do a whole lot of teaching, we were using community um, buildings and that type of thing. Uh, Many times the the hospitals, local hospitals, would invite the the physicians to give lectures or mm-hmm. or to have programs even. So in, at the beginning, there were programs on how to lose weight or programs on how to stop smoking. Those types of programs were always uh, uh, good programs that would have a lot of people to follow. And um, one of the programs that my mother did back in, I think it was 1968 or 69, was the first and, as far as I know, the only televised uh, stop smoking program that was the five-day plan. They used to call it the five-day plan to stop smoking. So within five days, a person could transition from being a smoker to a non-smoker. Mm-hmm. And with this program, it was a pretty effective program. Now they have different programs that uh, do the same thing, and sometimes they take a little bit longer or whatever it may be. But that program was a successful program, but it was always a program that was done uh, on a on a personal basis or a live uh, presentation. This was a televised program, mm-hmm. and so they didn't know how it was going to work because the format was a little different than what it had been done before. But uh, but they they actually experienced dozens of individuals that wrote in and said, "Yes, we were able to stop smoking wow. through this televised program." So. I think that encouraged both of my parents at the time that there are different venues and even technology that could be used Uh to convey the information. And, of course, uh, as you know, sometimes it's difficult for a person to change their lifestyle. So you can talk about it, uh, and, and in fact, you as a physician may know, you know, if a person would just you know, alter their diet a little bit or even, you know, get on an exercise program that would just make all the difference in the world, but they just don't seem to be making that that change. 
the the concept of actually kind of staying in a in an environment where they see you doing it, and so it's a more structured environment for them. Uh, they can follow along with the with the program. There's other people doing it. There's a leader who's mm-hmm. you know is encouraging them to do to make these changes, and 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 so if you can make that about two and a half three week. Um, you know, pattern change, then you have stand a lot better chance at having a permanent lifestyle change. And so that's where the lifestyle center concept kind of goes is to, it's kind of like showing an individual, this is how to do this. Mm-hmm. It, and it, and it's, it's possible to do, uh, you know, sometimes when you think about uh, the, the foods that may be a different type of food to eat or that kind of thing, a uh, person may kind of wonder, well, I don't know if I could do this. I, I don't think that I could cook this way. But then when they begin to eat that way, they think, well, you know, if it tastes like this, I think I could eat that way. Mm-hmm. And so you show a person how to do that. It makes all the difference in the world. And that's really kind of the concept behind the Lifestyle Center. And what we were doing was, um, uh, you know, we had made some changes in our in our own lifestyle and, and had um, – experienced some good results there and then you know the people that were able to stay with us they were able to experience some of those as well and so um they just kind of did what we were doing you know when we got up they got up and when we had breakfast they had breakfast and they ate what we ate and so it made it 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 was easy to do it wasn't you didn't have to think too much about the program now, how old were you when your parents actually acquired this property? I was 10 years old. Okay. And, and was it shortly thereafter that they started inviting people into the home? Immediately. They'd been talking about what they wanted to do. And uh-huh. so there were several individual, individuals in the community that uh, had actually the uh, one of the first uh, individuals that came to stay with us had a, um, a flu. And so it wasn't a lifestyle-oriented mm-hmm. thing, but... But was having a horrible time with it. It had flu for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. but wanted to. You know, the the idea of treating naturally was you know was very attractive to this this uh, woman, and so she wanted to come here and see what would happen if she used natural methods. Mm-hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, when we first moved here, my parents didn't know that much about natural methods. Uh, they knew a few things to uh-huh. do, but. Not very much. And so they did the few things that they knew how to do, and they believed that that really made a difference. Hmm. Also, I think an encouraging thing that they saw that even an acute situation mm-hmm. can be helped with some of these natural things that are uh, what you might call the old remedies, some mm-hmm. of which have fallen out of out of use, uh, take a little bit of doing and may even have take a little bit longer in the uh, you know in the in the recovery process. And so um, some people are kind of uh, scared of them, <laughs> or maybe they just take some time to do, and so they just don't do them as much as they used to. Well, let's make it concrete, because I know in Indian country, I've read different tribal accounts throughout the country of Native Americans, many parts of the country, using different forms of the application of, of water. We would call it hydrotherapy. Right. Are these some of these so-called older remedies that you guys were using? Yes. uh, Hydrotherapy is one of the main modalities that we use as far as a remedy is concerned. But one of the big remedies that we use is diet. Okay. Big change in diet is is amazing how quickly a person can recover from all kinds of of illnesses. But uh, some herbal remedies that we use also, I guess you could say our principle as far as herbal remedies is that we, we tend to use teas and, and, of course, when you're talking about those decoctions that are teas, they're usually pretty weak. And, mm-hmm. and so although they do have an effect, 
I know that mom used to smile a bit and say that I think person got as much uh, benefit from the water that they were drinking rather than whatever was in the thing. And so uh, that's one of the one of the remedies that we uh, use quite a bit is water, both externally and and internally, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that most people don't get enough good, clean, pure water to drink. Now, we've got to talk about your reaction as a child. I think a lot of kids, if you're bringing strangers in the home, especially sick ones with the flu, they initially wouldn't be all that enamored about it. <laughs> we're going to have to step away for uh, for just a bit, but we're going to come back. Cal Thrash is sharing with us insights from the founding of Uchi Pines Institute, and he's not just sharing with us insights. We've been catching some glimpses of the power of lifestyle change. We're going to give you some more concrete examples in our next segment and talk a little bit more about this amazing journey that Agatha and Calvin Thrash went on uh, some, uh, what, 40, 50 years ago that has really transformed the lives of hundreds, thousands of people through their influence things that can make a difference in your own home, in your own community. Stay tuned. We'll be coming back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for our second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. Cal Thrash, Director of Development, former president for 16 years of the Uchi Pines Institute in Alabama. He is the son of the founders of this institute, Calvin and Agatha Thrash, two physicians uh, well-known to many of you. Cal has been sharing with us some of the history of this institution, and I promised you we're going to look at some of the real practical lessons that uh, that were gained and some exciting stories. Cal, I think one of the things that's got to be on many people's minds, it's on mine, 10-year-old boy. <laughs> I'm just thinking, the average kid, I, I don't know that he's going to be all that excited with a bunch of strangers coming into his home. I mean, how was it for you? <laughs> well, um the experience of moving out here was was uh, uh, unusual, let's put it that way. When we first got the farm, of course, my sister and I thought that was the greatest thing. We, we thought, you know, plenty of room to run and play and do all kinds of neat stuff. But if you've lived on a farm, you realize it's not running and playing all day. Um, it's quite a little bit of work. And when we figured that out, then suddenly we decided we didn't especially care for it too much. <laughs> but uh, we, we grew to like it. And, and of course, the, the concept of having people in your home uh, because we were young and strong and able to help our parents you know solicited our help and in uh, much of this and in fact with the um, these simple treatments we learned how to do them how to administer these uh, things for instance uh, different types of baths we talked about a, a woman that came with the flu and mm-hmm. One of the concepts is to artificially raise the fever a little bit. You don't you don't go way high, but you know a few degrees that will do a couple of things. One is that it produces a, a reaction. If you if a person already has a slight fever, then to, to artificially raise the fever will help the body to kind of cool off a little. You know, mm. it kind of turns it around a little bit, so it may help to break the fever in the sweating that happens after the after the bath. So you mm-hmm. get into a bath and, and raise the temperature artificially. The other thing, of course, is that it helps to increase what they call the phagocytic index or the, the white blood cell count. And so more of those soldiers running around eating germs and, mm-hmm. and viruses and so forth. And so that's what you want if you can if you can do that. So my sister and I got pretty good at at doing this, but uh, I remember one particular individual. There was a, a young fellow that was uh, he was probably about six or seven years older than me. So I was mm-hmm. I was younger than he, but I was the attendant in the bath, okay. and so I knew how to do that. And and uh, mom said, now what we need to do is we need to do this hot half bath. So that's what they called it. She basically is taking a hot bath, and then you finish for a certain number of minutes uh-huh. where you can raise the temperature to a certain degree. And and we were looking for you know put the thermometer in, looking for a certain temperature, and then finish off with a cold pour, which is that flash of cold that opens up the pores and gets you sweating, and then, of course, that will help to break the fever as, uh, when the person goes to, to so bed. So opens the pores or close the pores? Or what? Well, the it initially close, closes, but uh-huh. the, but because of the reaction, the initial reaction the, the initial reaction to the cold of the body is to close down the pores, mm-hmm. but then, of course, uh, very shortly, within just a few seconds, you realize, wait a minute, we're not cold, we're hot, mm. and so the pores open back up okay. again, and then you sweat. Uh, so, and and the idea is to quickly as possible get the person into bed and 
cover up with some blankets and so forth, and you sweat out all the toxins and so mm-hmm. forth. And uh, it's very effective. But I didn't really do what I was supposed to do. And this is where I was learning too. Uh. I, I didn't keep the head as cool as I should have. And and the young man uh, got hot enough. And then with the with the cold, he he briefly fainted, oh and so then and he forgot that he hadn't done the cold. So he, he woke back up and he says, "Okay, we ready for the cold now?" And I said, "Well, you've already had the cold." <laughs> and he said, "Okay, well, I guess we can get out." But I sure hung on to him, you know, realizing uh, that he had already uh, uh, he was he didn't hurt himself, of course, you know, he was already down, but uh-huh. he uh, he went out a little bit there, and so I said, "Well, we'll make sure I hang on to him when he, when we're heading to the bed." <laughs> so it was a learning process uh, for my sister and I both. Uh, as well as my parents in doing this, of course, they would have known what to look for. That teaches you also, you know, what to do and what not to do in these in these things. Are very simple remedies, but you know, need to need to know what you're doing uh, to make sure that that you don't do something that that could uh, cause a, a reaction that you don't want. And and so that was a, a little bit of a. I guess you could say hair-raising experience for me, but it didn't last for very long. And uh, and then we were able to, you know, get hustle right over to the bed. He sweated out all those toxins that we were hoping for. His fever broke, and in fact, he he um, ended up the next day he didn't have the flu anymore. Now, you know, usually many times you don't have it quite that fast, but that was a uh, an experience that. Um, was an encouragement to me also because uh, he had a real quick turnaround and didn't, didn't have a fever, didn't feel bad, had a little bit of weakness the next day, but he was well on the way to recovery. And so we were really happy for the the the, um, the reaction that he had to the remedy, and it, and it, uh, it really worked very well. Now, I was hearing about these techniques, hydrotherapy, when I was a medical student. It was one of the things that inspired me to visit here at Uchi Pines. And I'm not sure if it was then or shortly thereafter, but you hear stories like you're telling us on the air. And I said as a physician or as a medical student, whenever it was in that process that I really statements, I said, wow, where can I get more information about this? And I learned that your mom and dad had written a book on hydrotherapy. Right. Is that book still in print? No, it's not in print. It went out of print oh, probably about seven or eight years ago. Uh, it's still available on online. You can get it at Amazon and various places as a used book. Um, in fact, I saw one copy that was brand new, and they had it selling for close to $100, I believe. And I was thinking, wow, it would have been nice if we could have sold them for $100. As we were selling for nine ninety five or something like that. Okay. But uh, they're they're still around. Um, uh-huh. We we printed, uh, during the time that they were in print, uh, well over 100,000 copies. In really? Fact, it, it was many more than that, I think, by the time it finally did go out of print. So there, uh-huh. there are quite a few still around, and uh, many of them in good good shape, you know, haven't been beat up too much. And it's so called hydrotherapy for the it's home. Home, rem- home remedies, oh, hydrotherapy, home remedies. massage, charcoal, other simple remedies. I think is the full title, but basically it's the home remedies book. Okay, by the Thrashes, right? Calvin and Agatha Thrash. They had another uh, two-volume uh, set called Natural Remedies and More Natural Remedies. So it's a little different focus there. Those books focused more on the remedies themselves, whereas the Home Remedies book talked more about the modalities and the and you know how to do what you're what you're talking about, you know, these hydrotherapy techniques mm-hmm. and that type of thing, and also the physiology that's involved and, you know, why they work. Mm-hmm. So now are any of these books uh, that your your folks wrote still in print? Or? Uh, yeah, actually, I think the Natural Remedy set are still available um, through various bookstores and online. Uh-huh. Uh, the Home Remedies book, and also they wrote a book on nutrition called Nutrition for Vegetarians. At the time, uh, it was unusual to see vegetarians, and so uh, they b- wrote a book that kind of focused toward vegetarians, but it was a book on nutrition just in general uh, as well. 
And that book is also out of print. Okay. It's available, though, again, as a used book. You can still find copies of them mm-hmm. around. You yourself have been sharing with us something that I, I actually find interesting. I didn't realize how much of a family business it was. <laughs> and it sounds like you and your sister. I've, I, I've met Anne, but where is she in age? Or older She's two or years older than me. Older, okay. Right. But you kids, it sounds like you didn't resent this. It was... No, actually... Um... Uh, I guess perhaps that was part of the, um, I guess our our parents uh, helped us with that somewhat as far as, it was not a problem at all. Um, I don't remember ever um, uh, not liking the idea that we had individuals, and for several years before there was a center, it was just our home, mm-hmm. and um, we always enjoyed having, having the people um uh, there was there were several individuals that were very colorful and you know uh-huh. it was it was it was actually a real kick having people in the okay. home. <laughs> it really was. So is it safe to assume then that you grew up kind of the model of health, the perfect lifestyle, well, <laughs> that never had when, any health when, issues? When I was very little, I think you could say that uh, because my parents changed their lifestyle when I was quite small and. But I, I kind of abandoned that during my rebellious years and oh, okay. you spent had some those, time. Huh? Uh, yeah, sowed some wild oats, unfortunately. One thing I've noticed about wild oats, they tend to grow. That's, that's mm. a, kind of a problem there. And I, I noticed that also, that uh, I began to have a few health issues uh, as, I, as I'd gotten older when I wasn't following the, uh, the lifestyle that I'd grown up with. So did you learn in a different way the power of those principles than in your own life? Or you... Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, what what happened to me was that I noticed that as I'd gotten older, and maybe it happens to everybody, but it, it seemed like especially the men in our family, uh, as I'd gotten older, I had gained much more weight mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I was uh, I was close to or over 200 pounds. I, I never actually admitted to being over 200 pounds because, you know, I figured out a way to weigh myself so that I didn't uh, tip the scale over uh, over 200. But uh, I'm guessing that, you know, before the afternoon was over, probably the scale would have read 200 on there okay. or over 200. And uh, what what happened was that uh, for the first thing, I, I noticed that I, I uh, as I was getting older, I kept gaining more and more weight, and I figured if this keeps up, uh, by the time I get to be 60, I'm going to be about 700 pounds, and so I better do something about it. But but what lent a little bit of urgency to it was that I, I had a blood test taken for something else, and uh, the physician told me that my blood sugar was a little bit on the high side. It was over 100. It wasn't terribly high, but they called it pre-diabetes, right, which right. I'm not really sure if that's... Uh, if that's a real term, um, it is. It is. It's. I, I, it's kind of. My dad used to say it's kind of like being a little pregnant. But nonetheless, uh, you know, it was definitely an, uh, an area of concern. So I thought I really need to get my weight under control uh-huh. uh, as soon as I can. And so um, I, I called my mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad had passed away by then, but I called my mother and and asked, you know, what I should do about it. And she put me on a program, which started off with fasting. Hmm. And uh, so we fasted for a whole week. And, now, what uh, does that mean? A, f- a whole week fast? What did you What did you do? I, I just had water. Really? Uh, water is it was the only thing I took. Um, and in fact, you know, people ask me, was that a real difficult thing? And it was difficult for the first two days. Actually, the 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 second day was probably the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it had that kind of boy, I was ready to crawl the walls and all that. And in fact, a couple of times, uh, and this is where the beauty of having someone who can help you with this a partner or someone who, who can, you know, kind of go through the experience with you. So I would call up my mother and say, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can fast anymore. I think I've had it with this. And she, said, she would say, well, do you think you can fast for another 10 minutes? 
And I said, well, yeah, I could probably make it for 10 minutes. You know? and <laughs> so she said, well, call me back in 10 minutes. And Well, I didn't want to call her in 10 minutes, so uh-huh. I you know, pushed it a little bit right, on that. Right. And so maybe 20 minutes or, or 30 minutes, you know, that I'd go and, and then I, uh, you know, boy, I really, I, I really need something to eat, you know. And so I'd call back, and she said, "Well, let's let's try it for. Do you think you can make for another ten minutes?" And you know, so we we did that for several times through that day. And and the other thing that was really nice about the the thing was that she would uh, she designed the program in such a way that I didn't have to worry about it. So in the morning, I'd call up and say, "So what do we want to do today?" And she said, "Well, do you think you can fast for another day?" And I said, "Well, yeah. Once we got past that second day, I, I actually." didn't feel too bad and it was almost like i had a kind of a system reboot or something i'm not quite sure before that i i knew that i shouldn't be eating late in the evening Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i knew that wasn't the best thing but uh but i never could do it i would get to six o'clock and you know i think oh brother uh, i'll I'll have to have something but then after this period of fasting Mm -hmm. it, it seemed like that um was not a problem i haven't had supper since and that was many years ago now yeah, it's an exciting concept, and I should mention, you know, as a physician, and, and I'm sure you would mention this too if I pressed you on it, Calvin, and that is uh, individuals who are on medications for diabetes or high blood pressure, you can't just go on a fast without some medical uh, input. But uh, a powerful metabolism-setting practice, and actually, like you mentioned, I've seen this with many patients over the years, and just in the way of full disclosure, it was your dad, Calvin Thrash, who got me and, and many other physicians I know excited about the power of fasting for metabolic diseases like diabetes. we got to step away just uh, for a couple of minutes. We're going to be coming back with our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Some final insights from Cal Thrash, uh, some ways you can get resources, more resources about Uchi Pines and other related things that we've spoken about on today's show. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be right back. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, 
Doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Cal Thrash. He is the Director of Development of Uchi Pines Institute. Cal has been sharing with us insights from the uh, the background, really, of this amazing institution from which we're actually recording this show. And, Cal, you were telling us about your own journey as well. You saw that scale keep uh, going up and up and up. And although 200 pounds may not sound like a lot to a lot of people, just to put it in perspective, what would you feel is an ideal weight for you? For me, uh, 165 is where I wanted to be at the very kind of at the top. And um, and probably more like 155 would, okay. wouldn't be too bad just for my build uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and also optimal health. For me, I thought to be a little bit on the leaner side rather than on the heavy side was what I wanted, if it's at all possible. But I hadn't really been paying much attention to it, and so I kept getting heavier. We, we focused a lot on, for some months, after this initial fast. It didn't last for very long. So how long did that days. last? Well, we, we, okay. did, we did a week, mm-hmm. um, and that's a, a pretty long fast for some people. It but is. But it's, uh, it wasn't too bad. Actually, like I said, passed the first couple of days, and, and I felt like I could go on. So, But we pulled it to a close at the end of that week. And then we, did, we focused on raw foods. Okay. Uh, not all completely. We, we started off with all raw, but just for a week, and mm-hmm. then added in some, some cooked foods as we went along. But just as a majority of what I was eating was you know not processed in, mm-hmm. in any way and mm-hmm. so uh, lots of salads and uh, and when I say salad I mean the the raw things and the things that are not uh, refined on okay. the salads you can put a lot of dressing on the salad and end up with something that has quite a few calories so no dressing is that no what dressing I, I, oh, okay. I just sprinkle a little salt on on mine, and uh, I realize there are some people that probably would want to stay away from salt, too. Uh, okay, so there are other enough. flavorings that you can use, you know, some herbs and mm-hmm. that kind of thing that you could put to add a little flavor to the thing. But uh, I'd gotten to the place, actually, with this, I guess you could kind of call it like a system reboot. Or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. There were some things that didn't appeal to me very much before that fast that afterwards... I found quite appealing. For instance, fruit. Uh-huh. For for many years, I hadn't really cared too much for fruit at all. Really? I just, oh, I couldn't stand fruit. Uh, you know, I'd eat a banana once in a while, uh-huh. but that, you know, that just wasn't my thing. And then after this, I actually enjoyed fruit. I would really? eat mainly uh, apples because apples fill you up. They have a lot of water in them, uh-huh. of course, and uh, uh, you can eat six or seven of them, and they're only, what, 30 calories apiece. I I really enjoyed eating apples. I'd buy a whole sack full of them and, you know, prepare them and, and eat them for a meal. And so I found myself more enjoying some of the more raw things, uh, plant-based items, and with a few legumes mixed in, you know, some garbanzo mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that in the salad. or, But then as we progressed into, uh, you know, more cooked foods, but we still focused on the raw side. What I found is that if I, if I took the raw first, then it kind of took the edge off the hunger. And then, you know, mm. the, the cooked foods that are, it's easier to eat a lot of something cooked 
and end up, you know, with a lot more calories than what you were hoping for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's what I found was a was a good program. And uh, having somebody as a coach, too, to, to help me, you know, kind of this is what we'll do today, uh, help me to get on the right track. And, and once I was on that, um, I was able to maintain it and haven't had haven't had real issues with my weight since then. And again, like I said about the, you know, eating at night, it, it seemed like, I would have this concept of I would get up in the morning and think, you know, I'm not going to eat supper today and and um, and then get about uh, five or six in the evening and say, well, <laughs> mm. maybe I'll just have an apple. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but uh, you don't just stop with an apple. You know, pretty soon it's like, well, you know, the apple just kind of wet my appetite. You know, maybe I'll eat a, a little sandwich and pretty soon you've eaten, a, you know, full course meal. And but after that, you know, that, that time of fasting, which I, I don't know if it was a cleansing thing or mm-hmm. what exactly it does to your system, but it, it certainly made a difference in, in just the ability to be able to, to uh, have that discipline and that self-control that I needed to not, I knew I shouldn't be doing it because, you know, there's a lot of calories just before you mm-hmm. go to bed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not a, a uh, that's the way to pack them on, pack on the pounds. But I was able to actually not have that, you know, just strong craving in the evening for food after the fasting that I that I had had. So it made a difference for me. And, and I think we've seen also in, in people who come here to the Lifestyle Center that makes a difference. It doesn't have to be a long period mm-hmm. of fasting. Mm-hmm. Some of just a day is enough for this, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, to, to almost like reorient your your taste and, and the ability to be able to say no when you really need to be able to. And and we talked some about this during the break, you and I, right. about how some people can't go on a fast because they're on medications that, that either irritate their stomach or they're on something that metabolically would make it dangerous. So right. if you're on a medication and you're getting excited about what Cal is sharing, I mean, check with your doctor. Make right. sure there's not a problem doing that. But Cal, am I hearing you right? You actually did lose a lot of weight on this and kept I, it off? I lost uh, pretty close to 40 pounds. Really? Yes. And you kept it off? Yes. yes. Well, that's it's... impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. That's that's the key is that, mm-hmm. you know, it was a change in the way that I had been doing things. And the other thing was that I, I drastically increased my exercise. Uh, okay. And, of course, you know, people would say, so... What's your secret? And I'm saying, uh-huh. okay, the secret is you you lower the amount of calories that you eat and you increase the amount of exercise. It works every time. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, so it wasn't a uh, you know they kind of walk away a little disappointed. They were hoping I had the magic pill or something uh-huh. that they could take that just have the pounds drop off. But you know it took a little bit of time, but it was it was amazing how quickly you know that actually did happen for me. It was it was over some months, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like years that it took right. for me to to get to what I consider to be an ideal weight. We mm-hmm. we kind of went a little below the ideal weight. I went, you know, 140-something, and, you know, my wife said, okay, yeah, it's a little too much now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so we, we bounced back a little okay, bit, you know, back okay. up to the 150s. You yeah. mentioned the power of having a coach, and I've noticed over the years, even back in the 80s when I was here, one of the things that Yuchi Pines has always been at least associated with in my mind is not only running these intensive lifestyle change programs where people come to from all over the, the world, right. Right? right? But you also train people in a short course to be really, I don't know if the term you use is health coaches, but it's something like that, That's, right? We, we call it lifestyle counselor, but it, it really is a health coach. Is, mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, and they're also trained in some of these techniques that we talk about with the specialized treatments that have to do with hydrotherapy and some massage, simple massage. And um, 
and some herbal remedies and and also they are really um the person who is the the counselor and friend for an individual who is hoping to make these lifestyle changes but just has not been able to do it all by themselves they know they need to mm-hmm. they know they need more exercise they know mm-hmm. they need certain things that they shouldn't be eating or maybe they should be eating a little more of or maybe they need to stop smoking but uh they just sim- simply don't they don't have the willpower themselves to mm-hmm. do it and so that's what we exist for is to try to you know help point people in the right direction kind of get them over the hump and and get them into that pattern that new lifestyle pattern that that uh, will help them to to really have a more fulfilling and healthy lifestyle that's what we're hoping to do and of course these individuals that we train here we have a training course to do that and one is a six-month course and the other is a one-year course okay with a real um a spiritual emphasis to that as well mm. and so that part we we don't leave out of, of the equation either we don't just focus only on the physical we actually mm. want to try to we realize that human beings are complete whole and the emotional and spiritual side of them is is as important as the physical side if not more so so someone's listening to this show maybe they're hearing about uchi pines for the first time they say, well, I need a place like this. I need to come out for a few weeks as a patient, right. or maybe I, I'm i between jobs. I'm looking for, I, I'd love to do this and go back to my people, go back to the reservation, try to make a difference. How does someone get more information? Well, the easiest thing to do is to call us and chat for a little while. We have some individuals that, uh, for you know, free of charge, can talk to you about health issues that you mm-hmm. may have. And that's uh, uh, 877-UCHI-PINES is the easy way to remember it. Okay. Um, eight, seven, but how do you spell Uchi? U- <laughs> U-C-H-E-E and then Pines. Okay. Um, and so you, you just, uh, with your telephone keypad, uh, right, right. spell that out, 877-UCHI-PINES. And, and then ask for uh, one of the... Um, lifestyle counselors or someone that could could speak to you and and that's that's one place to get started mm-hmm. is many times people have found that uh, there are simple things that they can do right there at home but if they like to come here to the institute there's there's the uh, website that we have is our uchipines.org uh, website that tells all about our our program and who we are and what we do where we're located and that's a good place to start also. Wow. Cal, our time has uh, slipped away from us. It's been great to have you on the show. Thanks for sharing uh, some of your personal journey and the story of Uchi Pines. Thank you. My pleasure. You know, as we're winding up, Cal, there's some people, they've heard some uh, inspiring things, but they're not quite ready to make a decision. You got any uh, words of counsel? <laughs> well, don't give up. Uh, there were there were years that I spent wanting to do the right thing and knowing even what the right thing was, but not able to do it. And so, you know, don't give up that hope that someone can can help you to make that choice. Great message. Cal Thrash, Director of Development for Uchi Pines Institute. And if you want that uh, number again for more information, 877-UCHI Pines. That's U-C-H-E-E Pines or uchipines.org. Well, we have got to slip away. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose, hoping today's show has uh, increased your capacity for living a healthy and happy life. For all of us, I'm wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.